Well, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but every family is different. And when Katie and I were dating, um, we started going to each other's Christmases, um, and that was quite an experience for each of us. Um, she started coming to mine, I started going to hers, and we both quickly realized the differences in our families. Because for my family, when you come in the door, everyone gets up and they line up at the door, and you, everyone gets, gives you a hug. And uh, when my mom's side of the family would sometimes come for like a New Year's Eve party, and so you could maybe have like 15 to 20 people in the house. So another family arrives, everyone lines at the door, and everyone gets a hug. Um, but on the opposite side, when we arrive at Katie's family for holidays, people come in, of course they're going to greet you, but no one really gets up. They just kind of say, hey, Merry Christmas from where they're seated. There's no lining up and getting hugs. Um, her mom usually lines up and gives a hug and stuff. So, um, But that was one difference. And the other difference with Christmas uh, was how we open presents. My family passes out presents to each person, so everyone has their presents in their hand, and then they start opening them um, and start saying, all at the same time, and say, you know, thank you, you know, so-and-so, like, oh, who's, sometimes you forget, who is this from? Oh, oh, thank you for that, and then, oh, then you get your next present, and you just start opening. So it's kind of like chaos, and all this stuff is happening uh, all at once. Um, but with Katie's family, it's kind of like one family unit at a time passes out their gifts um, to the person that it's going to. So like, okay, I'll have three presents in front of me, and I'll open it, and like, everyone will watch you open it. Uh, and then afterwards, all the kids are like so well trained that um, they open their present. Then they're saying thank you, and they're looking for the camera, holding it up, you know, because they know somebody's going to take a picture after that. And so it was much less um, chaotic um, for Katie's family. And so for her, she was like, "Oh my gosh, what is going on here? Like, I'm not saying thank you to people. No one's saying thank you know." So it was just this whole different environment. And these were just the beginnings of our family differences. Because once we got married, and then we moved in together. Um, we discovered that how our families did chores um, was different, how we handled conflict was different, and how we spent our money was different, how we cleaned the house was different, and, and so forth. And obviously, um, the way I was brought up was the right way, and hers is the weird way. Um, obviously, we just get that you know, out of the way. <laughs> um, but every family, they have different patterns, and values, and traditions, and priorities, and histories, and every family is different. And today, we're continuing our series uh, called Living the Good News Together. Um, and as, as a church, we're learning how we um, can respond to the good news of Jesus together. How do we live in light of this good news together? And if you grab your songbook and just flip to the back, we'll do this every week um, as we're going through this series. The very last page shows our roadmap for what this series is going to be all about. Um, so the first thing we covered was, as a community, uh, is our mission statement. As a community, we are surrendering all of life to Jesus and inviting others to do the same. That's our mission statement. Um, what we're, we're doing, what we're all about. But then we want to ask the question, well, how do we do that? How do we surrender all of life to Jesus? And how do we invite others to do the same? Well, the answer to that is our community practices, which is the next thing. So how do we do that? Well, it's by practicing believing the gospel, living as family, loving as servants, going as messengers, and relying on the Spirit. And then the goal is um, so that, at the very bottom, as the family of God, we can show and tell the good news of Jesus to every man, woman, and child. And um, last week we covered our first community practice, believing the gospel. Um, this week we're covering living as family. And so you can see how those next three are, are, are kind of indented, and we'll get into why um, those are indented in between believing the gospel and relying on the Spirit. When Jesus was going around first century Israel, telling people about God's kingdom and offering them forgiveness for their sins, he was also calling people um, to, to follow him and live a, a totally new way of life. Um, and if you believe this news of forgiveness, that means there's a life change. Jesus 
was bringing together a community who were going to live in light of the good news that he was announcing. And as we heard in our first scripture reading in, in Matthew 12 that Larry did for us, Jesus was forming a family with God as their father. Jesus was doing his heavenly father's will, and he was calling others to do likewise. Come and follow me as I do my father's will. But Jesus' vision for the community he was forming didn't fully blossom um, until after he was resurrected and he returned to his father's throne. And so this week we're focusing in the book of Acts, which is like what happened. It's like Jesus um, dies for our sins, he's resurrected, and then he returns to his father's uh, to his throne at his father's side. Um, and then what happens after that? The book of Acts says, well, actually, it's uh, the beginning of it says, and now uh, this is all that Jesus continued to do. And so he's like still at work, but this is what happens after he's returned. Um, and so what, as we look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, the big question this passage answers is, how should we live after we believe the gospel? How should we live after we believe the gospel? That's the question Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 answers. How should we live after we believe the gospel? And let's cons as we consider this, um, just think about the Bible. It contains many instructions for what Christian community is to look like, but Acts chapter 2, this passage we're looking at today, gives us one of the most powerful descriptions of what the early Christian community looked like. So there's instructions, but here it's like, oh, here's these people living this out. And when the book of Acts begins, just kind of getting up to, to where we're at in the story, Jesus, he's still with his disciples. He died and was buried. And then he was raised to life. He was resurrected. And then he spent 40 days with them, instructing them about the kingdom of God, telling them, like, this is what all this means. This is how you live in light of what has happened. And at the opening of Acts, he tells them to stay in Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel, until they receive the Holy Spirit from God the Father. Well, we may wonder, well, why do they need the Holy Spirit? Well, it's because after his resurrection, Jesus gave his disciples the mission of going out in the world and witnessing to what they've heard and seen from Jesus. It's like their eyewitnesses called to the witness stand to say, like, this is what I've seen, this is what I've heard. They, they're getting called to the witness stand. It's Jesus saying, the world's your witness stand, and go out and say, this is what I've seen, this is what I've heard about Jesus. He died, he did all these miracles, he did these things, and then he was raised from the dead. And now he's going to come again one day, um, but he's on his throne now. And specifically, they're supposed to spread the good news of forgiveness in his name. He died for people's sins so they could, be, they could be free of them. And then he's alive today, proving that his news that he was announcing was true. Because, you know, anybody, I could tell you right now, I'm going to die for your sins. And, okay, sure. Um, but then if I added, and I'm going to be resurrected, you'd be like, okay, that's even a little crazier. And then if I died, okay, he died like everyone else. Oh my gosh, he was resurrected. It must have been true what he was saying about dying for my sins. And so his resurrection proved that it was all tr true, and he wants his disciples to tell the world this news. And he told them, but you need to wait for the Holy Spirit before you embark on this mission. And so we may ask, well, who is the Holy Spirit? And this is just a short little lesson on the Trinity. As Christians, we believe that um, there's one God, and there's one God, and um, that one God uh, is made up of three equally divine persons. He's a loving unity of three equally divine persons. So it's like, think of it as like, you know, the three fingers are together, they're one, but three equally divine persons. Um, and so these three divine persons who make up the one God are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Jesus 
God the Son, was sent by God the Father to bring salvation. And Jesus told the disciples that he was going to send God the Holy Spirit to be with them. They needed the Holy Spirit for the mission that they had been given. They needed the personal presence of God with them. And so after Jesus returned to his throne in heaven, the disciples waited for the Father and the Son to send the Holy Spirit. And they, they took care of some internal business while they're waiting. They waited for 50 days in Jerusalem. And they're all gathered together in one place. And all of a sudden, this mighty rushing wind comes, sweeps into the room, and suddenly they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they begin speaking other language, and other people are overhearing it. And some people are like, well, these people are talking like they're drunk. They're just, you know, talking gibberish and babbling about other languages. And then at that moment, Peter preaches the first sermon proclaiming Jesus. It's like the first, you know, church, not quite the first church service, but it's like the first sermon where Jesus is being preached after he um, was resurrected. So to everyone listening, Peter told them that Jesus was sent by God to bring salvation, just like all the prophets talked about. And, then G and Jesus was made Lord, and he was made Christ by God, and he was the one that everyone had been waiting for. But then they crucified him. Everyone's been waiting for him, and then they crucified him. He came to save them, but then they killed him. And so all the people listening, they're, they're cut to the heart, because they've been, they're in Jerusalem. That's where Jesus was crucified, where he died and was buried. And they're there. They've seen all the stuff that's been happening. And so they're, it says they're cut to the heart. They say, what shall we do? And then Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so everyone after, there's a bunch of people who believed after that. And everyone who believed the gospel, um, that Peter was preaching that you, you know, Jesus has provided forgiveness. Um, they're all baptized, and it ends up being like 3,000 people. And so that brings us to where we're at, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. What do these people do after they believe the gospel? They heard this sermon, they asked, what do we what do? We do? He says, repent and you know, believe the gospel, be baptized, and um, you'll receive the Holy Spirit. So then what happens right after that? One of the truths the apostles, Jesus' first disciples, will later teach is that when we trust in Jesus... God the Father adopts us into his family. That language isn't used here, but that's one of the truths that they teach later very clearly. It's because of our sin that we are estranged and we're alienated from God. There, there's barriers between us. Our sin separates us from God. And, and, but everyone who believes the gospel receives forgiveness. Those barriers are all taken away. That separation, that divide, we're brought back together with God. When we trust in Jesus, we're no longer estranged and we're no longer alienated. We're close with God. We've been brought into his family. God the Father adopts us. We previously weren't part of his family, and then he adopts us and brings us into his family. And the same love that the Father has for Jesus is the same love he now has for us. <coughs> and all the people who believe Peter's message about Jesus believe they've been forgiven because of Jesus, and it changes how they live. There's an immediate change in their lives. And how they live as it's described in this passage, it sounds a lot like family. They hung out together, they used their resources to help one another, they spent time together in their homes, eating and enjoying each other, and the gospel brings them together into this community. And so the big question this passage answers is, how should we live after we believe the gospel? And the answer is, because the Father adopts us, we live as family. Because the Father adopts us, we live as family. How should we live after we believe the gospel? It's because the Father adopts us, we live as family. And believing the gospel, and trusting in Jesus and following Jesus is personal. It is deeply personal, but it is never private. We follow Jesus with a family of other people who are also following him and who have also been adopted into God's family. 
And that's why our second community practice is living as family. When we believe the gospel, we're given a new identity. We don't just live you know, like family, but we live as family because we are family. We're given a new identity. Who we are is changed. You know, that song we sang was, you know, who is God? Well, he's a good, good father. That's who he is. Who are we? Well, we're loved by him because he's our father. Now we're his beloved children. Jesus, he told his disciples, um, one of his, some of his final words to him, he said, I want you to, to go into the world. I want you to make disciples, baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Remember we talked about that one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's interesting, he says, not into the names of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, into the name, the name of the one God who's made up of three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And when we are baptized, we receive God's name. It looks kind of like um, you know, when Katie and I got married, um, she received uh, my last name, and she, it notes a status change, like something has changed here. There's, um, we're identified differently. There's a status change, and so we receive God's name. We're identified with God. When we believe in Jesus, when we commit to him, um, there's a change of status. We receive a new name. What defined us before was sin and shame and guilt and, and pride and disobedience. And that no longer defines us. What, what God says about you is now what defines you. If you trust in Jesus, God now says to you, I love you. I paid the price to adopt you into my family. I'll take care of you and I'll protect you. You're my beloved child and you always will be. I've adopted you. I'm the one that did this to get you in this family. And if I did all this to get you in, nothing's going to get you out because you're always going to be my child. Our community practice of living as family focuses on our status as adopted children of God the Father. We're baptized into the name of the Father. We're also baptized in the name of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And our other two community practices um, focus on that, which we'll talk about in the coming weeks. We may wonder, well, well how do we live as family? Sure, that's great, um, but how do we live as family? What is God's family like? Well, verse 42 tells us four commitments. It says, uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's one. The fellowship, that's two. To the breaking of bread, that's three. And to the prayers. And so, here are four commitments for how we live as family. First, we live as family by committing to follow Jesus together. We live as family by committing to follow Jesus together. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And when we hear apostles' teaching, we're prone to think about it as sort of like an information download because teaching and learning for us is very much classroom-based. You're listening to somebody and you're learning more information. Um, but disciple is the word that the Bible uses for someone following Jesus. And it means learner, but it has less to do with information and more to do with life transformation. The apostles learned Jesus' way of life, and that's what they were teaching. They're not teaching just, here's all the information you need to know. They're teaching this is a way of life. This is how you follow Jesus and how you do it together with other people. And so after we believe the gospel, that's the starting point of learning a, a new way of life, new habits, new priorities, and new plans that are all centered on Jesus. And we talked before about how every family is different. They all have their own traditions and rituals and priorities and like ways of interacting with each other. And when we start following Jesus, now we're learning a new way of interacting with other people and how we treat other people and how would God treat them, how would Jesus treat them. And so we're learning a new way of life centered on Jesus. And the apostles aren't here with us today, so you may wonder, like, oh great, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. How do we do that? I don't see Paul or Peter, you know, any of these people hanging around with us today. 
Um, but their teaching, um, we have it in, in Scripture. It's one of the, you know, in God's wisdom, he had people write down and then copy the things that they were teaching to the Christians of that day. So we have it um, now. And it's, their teaching is all about Jesus. Jesus is always at the center of the family and the community he creates. And that's why, you know, looking at our, our logo, don't mind the, the doodling, uh, a, little, a little gal from um, someone visiting marked this, but I guess I'm using it now. It's her, it's her name on it, but I'm using it. But, um, you know, at the, at the middle center of our logo is Jesus' crown. He's at the center. And then the dots around it, that represent the community. We're all, um, there's not just one dot, you know, oh, here's me, I'm following Jesus. But it's all of us following him together as a community. He's at the center, the community he creates. And when we commit to follow Jesus, we're joining a community of people who are, are doing it with us. We, we're not supposed to do it alone. We're never meant to do it alone. Um, and we can't. And Jesus calls us to a new and a better way of life. And that way of life includes other people. And I really enjoy this um, quote by author Paul Tripp. He says, What we need is intentionally intrusive, Christ-centered, grace-driven, redemptive community. Intentionally intrusive, Christ-centered, grace-driven, redemptive community. And that, that word, intentionally intrusive, is kind of like, you know, sometimes religion for us is like, you know, you don't talk about religion or politics. Like, that's just my private thing, and I don't talk about it with anybody else. But that is completely foreign to what Scripture talks about. It says, no, you need to be talking about this with other people. You need to have other people in your life, and you need to be in their life, because um, we all need each other as we um, try to live um, and follow Jesus. So the first commitment was we live as family by committing to follow Jesus together. Second commitment is we live as family by committing to open-hearted togetherness. We live as family by committing to open-hearted togetherness. Togetherness may be a made-up word. I'll get to it in a second where I got it from, but uh, we commit to open-hearted togetherness. Verse 42 says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. And, and fellowship is one of those words that is used in, in church a lot, and I don't know, I don't know if it's used... In a lot of other places besides the church world, but fellowship is a word Christians really like. Um, but it's one of those words that's kind of hard to define. Like they're, it's like, what does that exactly mean? What is, you know, what's the difference between fellowship and you know all these other words we use? Open-hearted togetherness is one of the phrases my good friend and um, fellow pastor and church planter Justin Searles uses, and I think it captures the spirit of the word fellowship because fellowship. Um, it's a powerful word in the original language that this was written in. It means like connection, there's interdependence, there's, there's openness between people, and there's sharing, there's warmth and companionship and, and friendship and oneness. And committing to open-hearted togetherness means all of these things. Because if you commit to open-hearted togetherness, it means you're opening the door of your life, you're opening your heart to another person. Your heart is open to others so they can see you and they can know you. It means that you're opening the door to, to share yourself with other people. You let other people into your fears, your pain, your sadness, your struggles, your sins, your anger, and you let them also into your joys and your victories and your, and your celebrations. It means you bring all of you to the table and you allow people to see your real self, who you really are. That's what it means to have open-hearted togetherness um, from your end. But then, help open-hearted togetherness also means that you're opening the door for others to share themselves with you, it's not just like, okay, some of you, you get to kind of like share all your stuff and then, okay, I'm done and close the door. No, you're opening yourself for someone else um, to share with you. Your heart is open to listen to another person's pain and fear and sadness and sorrow and anger. And your heart is open to feel compassion and to cry with them and to, and to comfort them. 
Your heart is also open to celebrate with other people when something good happens. And you, you're opening the door for another person to bring their whole and real self to you. And it, open-hearted togetherness means that we're sharing both our burdens and our joys with others, and they're sharing them with us. And this sharing of, selves, uh, of ourselves leads to sharing of our stuff. Verse 44 um, says, All who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And they don't just automatically like, oh, we just sell all of our stuff and put it in a big pot and then you know, take as they wish. They're saying that they're selling it as people have need or they're taking things that they have and they're using it for other people's good. And so people still have their stuff as later in Acts. People are still meeting in other Christians' houses and stuff. So they don't just say like, oh, it's all... That's kind of what communism was about. Like, oh, it's all for everybody. That's not what um, it's saying here. But they're using their resources to help other people. The concern of one person is the concern of the whole community. And each person, or each family unit isn't keeping their resources for themselves, but they're using their resources to help others when somebody else is in a time of need. And we would do this because God has opened himself to us. Why would we have this open-hearted togetherness? Well, God has opened himself to us. God, the Son, became one of us, taking on our pain, taking on our sin and the curse that it brings. God did this so that we can have a relationship with him. He opened himself up to humanity so that he could bring humanity into the life that the Father, Son, and Spirit all shared together. And he entered our brokenness and our sin in order to bring us into life and light and joy. Jesus was rich and he became poor so that we can become rich with spiritual blessings from him. And we worship a generous and a giving God who knows us and invites us to know him. And, and now we can do the same with others. We can be generous and giving, um, uh, showing ourselves to them, knowing them, letting other people know us. Too, so we can follow in God's footsteps in that way. So first two commitments, we live as family by committing to follow Jesus together and by committing to open-hearted togetherness. Third, we live as family by committing to open our homes to each other. We live as family by committing to open our homes to each other. Verse 42 says that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, which means um, they ate together, they shared meals together. And this adds an even more personal element to it. We might be like, okay, well, it already said the fellowship part, so why do we have to add this other part about them you know, eating together? But um, it adds a more personal element because they didn't, after believing the gospel, they didn't just hang out in public spaces together and then you know, bring items um, to donate and say, like, okay, do with it what you'd like, and like, I'm going to go back to my house now. Um, but they actually uh, brought strangers into their homes and sat around the dinner table with those people because 3,000 people... Um, it says we're baptized, and so they didn't all know each other, and so they're having you know, just strangers in their house and talking with them, getting to know them and caring for each other. And verse 46 says, Day by day, attending the temple together uh, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And so families are people who sit around the dinner table together, talking about their weeks, sharing burdens and joys and stories. You know, what happened to you this week? What, you know, what was exciting? What was hard? They know each other, and they're walking together through the ups and downs of life. And, and sharing a meal with somebody is one of the simplest yet most intimate actions you can do with someone, and one of the most powerful things you can do with somebody. And God has welcomed us into his family, and he's going to welcome us into heaven when we die, and eventually a new creation for us to enjoy. He's brought us in as close as we can get to him. And we follow his lead by welcoming others into our homes and getting close with them as well and talking and building relationships. 
So three commitments so far. We live as family by committing to follow Jesus together, by committing to open-hearted togetherness, and by committing to open our homes to each other. Fourth, we live as family by committing to talk with our Heavenly Father together. We live as family by committing to talk with our Heavenly Father together. Verse 42 says that they devoted themselves to the prayers, and then later verse 46 says that they attended temple services together, which probably meant they are going to the daily prayer services in the temple um, as a group. And then the rest of the book of Acts records all these times that the believers committed themselves to praying together. And if we're going to make sense, because if we're going to be part of God's family, we need to talk with the father of the family, the heavenly father of the family. He adopts us into his family, and so we need to seek his guidance. We need to seek his wisdom together. And it's only because of him that we are family, and it's only by his power that we can actually live as family. Because remember, they're believers. Um, they get... Uh, they hear the gospel, which is like, wow, I'm, I'm forgiven, I'm reconciled with God, I'm part of his family now, um, and he loves me. And then they get the Holy Spirit, and it's those two things that are what enable them to be able to actually live as family. And that's why our first community practice is believing the gospel. The second is relying on the Spirit. And if you remember in the book, um, the other three were kind of indented on that because it's those two um, that are like this kind of the secret, not secret ingredients, but you know, like the key ingredients towards how do we actually live as family, love as servants, and go as messengers. Oh, it's only because of the gospel, only because of the Holy Spirit, who's God's power and guidance um, living within us. And the gospel tells us the truth, that God has adopted us, forgiven us, and the Holy Spirit assures us that it's true, and he gives us the power to live that out and to treat each other like God has treated us. And family, for many of us, and many of the people in the world, is, is a difficult subject. All around us, we see broken families, and all of us come from imperfect families. And perhaps for some of you, hearing the word family, or the word father, just fills you with painful memories and with feelings of, of unfulfilled longings. Like, Man, this is what I wanted from my dad. This is what I wanted from my mom. This is what I wanted from my family. But I just never got it. And because of sin, our families are not what they're meant to be. And some of us need time and healing um, for us to start seeing God as the good father he truly is. Because often we, we project what our earthly fathers were like Onto God, and that's how we see God. You know, whatever our, our dad was like on this earth, that's how we start seeing God. Some of us need time of healing to to see the scriptures and to be around other people who can show us a different picture of what God is actually like as a father. Because the good news is that God is a perfect father, and the good news is that when you believe in Jesus, you're adopted into that perfect father's family. So whatever your family was like, you know, on, on earth. Um, you can be adopted into your Heavenly Father's family who is perfect, who always does what's right, who always loves and doesn't kick you out once you're in it. And I, I like to think of it like this. What's a family like with God at the head of the dinner table? You know, usually we think like, oh, who's at the head of the dinner table kind of calling the shots? What's a family like with God the Father at the head of the dinner table? Well, it certainly isn't perfect because sin is still present with us, but God's family is one learning to be more like their Heavenly Father as they follow Jesus who always did his Father's will. If you want a picture of what God the Father is like, you just have to look at Jesus. Start reading through the Gospel of John or any of the Gospels, and you'll see how, how did Jesus treat people. Oh, that's a perfect picture of how God the Father treats people. That's a perfect picture of how he treats his children. So truth we need to know and take away is that God saves you to be a part of his family. Know that God saves you to be a part of his family. That was always his intention. And church is not optional for Christians. You weren't, 
you, because we were all transferred from something into something. We were transferred from the domain of darkness where sin uh, and death reign, and we were transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. And being a disciple of Jesus means being part of a community of disciples who are also following Jesus. But the reality is, we can be resistant to this way of living. There's an, there's an enemy that keeps us from these commitments, from, from following Jesus together, from open-hearted togetherness, from opening our homes to each other, and from talking to our Heavenly Father together. And that enemy is pride. And so some of pride for all of us sounds different, um, but here are just a few you know, things that you know, maybe your pride tells you. Um, pride tells us you don't have time for God and his family. You don't have time for that. You're too busy. You just don't have time. And can we so, so then we start looking at being a part of God's family that we're adopted into. It's sort of like, here's me, and I'm juggling all the things in my life. And like maybe you know, once in a while, like God's family will get in there. But more we're supposed to look at it is like, this is who I am. I'm part of God's family, and I'm living life um, within that. And I'm, they're all helping me juggle all those things of life. Um, so living is, when we think, well, you don't have time for God in this family, um, then we're saying, well, living with other believers is like an optional add-on. Um, we think of it as, a, as an add-on instead of, it's actually our new identity that we've been given. Because if we trust in Jesus, we've been adopted in God, into God's family no matter what. And the question is, um, are you avoiding your family or are you investing in it? It's just a reality if you've trusted in Jesus that you are in that family. But the gospel tells us that God has blessed us with adoption into his family. You can find that in Ephesians 1. It is a blessing to have brothers and sisters in Christ to whom you're accountable and, and, and to whom you're responsible. And they're, you're responsible for them. They're responsible for you. That's a blessing to have people around you um, that care for you and love you. And so we should receive it as a blessing. Pride also will tell us, if you need help from other people to follow Jesus, you are weak. If you need help from other people to follow Jesus, you're weak. You have to do this on your own. And so we keep our struggles and our sin to ourselves. <laughs> he was wondering what was up there. He's like, what's he doing looking at down there? <laughs> and so we hear that truth. If you need help from other people to follow Jesus, you're weak. Um, we, so we keep our struggles and our sin to ourselves, and we don't tell anybody our weaknesses and faults. Instead, we try to overcome them all on our own. But sin always grows best in the dark. And to kill sin, it needs to be brought out into the light. The gospel tells us that no one can fix their sin problem on their own. And that's why Jesus came to die, and it's why we're given the Holy Spirit, and why we're adopted into a family, because we need others to battle sin. That's what the gospel tells us. No one can fix their sin problem on your own. Why would Jesus have had to die? Why would God have to come and dwell within us in the Holy Spirit if we could do it on our own? Pride also tells us, if you open up to others, they will think less of you. If you open up to others, they will think less of you. And so we keep everything to ourselves. We don't share our feelings, we don't share our sin, we don't share our struggles, because we don't want anyone else to think less of us. We don't want them to find out that we actually sin too and that we need help in life. But the gospel tells us that everyone needs help. That's why God had to become a human in order to save us. We all need help. We all need saving. We need help from God. We need help from other people. Pride also tells us if people saw what you are really like, they would never accept you. If people saw what you are really like, they would never accept you. And so we keep people out of our lives. We don't let them see when we're having trouble following Jesus. We don't let them see our real selves. We don't let them see our homes. Because we think, well, our, whole, our lives and our homes, they just need to be cleaned up and perfect for anyone to love us or accept us. That's the only way someone will love us and accept us. 
But the gospel tells us that no one is perfect, but God loves you anyway. He didn't die for you after you got your life cleaned up. He died for you when you were still a sinner, rebelling against him, not having a care in the world about what he wants or who he is. And that's when he died for you, not when you had everything cleaned up. And so that's what God's family should do too. We should love people even when they're imperfect, even when they don't have their act together. And to be honest, all these things, I only shared four things um, that pride tells us, and we could probably go on um, for days about, you know, excuses or reasons we give for, like, that's why I can't open up to the people, that's why I can't be in community. And I have to fight against all these in my life, because, oh, I don't have time for God and his family. It's like, oh, I don't have, you know, we say, like, oh, I just got my own stuff going on, I can't give up my time for somebody else, I can't give up my resources for somebody else, or, or thinking, um, well, if I, you know, if people really knew the things I'm struggling with, like, oh, they would never respect me, or they'd never listen to me, or never follow me, and it's like, all these things we can tell ourselves and all this pressure we can put on ourselves, it's just, it's just too much. And fear is what, fear keeps all of us from doing what would truly bring fulfillment in our lives. Fear stops us from doing so many things. It keeps us from doing what would truly bring fulfillment to our lives. We all want to be known by others. We all want help. We all want to be cared for. We all want to not be alone in carrying the burdens that we are carrying we all want to be loved and accepted and welcomed by others. These are all deep human needs and, and deep longings that are good for us to have because God built us with them. But fear keeps us from getting those, me, those needs met and those longings fulfilled. Fear keeps us only showing other people the highlight reel of our life instead of all of it with the mountains and the valleys, the joys, the hardships, the good and the bad. But if you trust in Jesus, you don't need to be afraid anymore. You can open yourself up to other people because even though you're a sinner Jesus has forgiven you it's true you're a sinner you do things wrong you're weak you're needy and you you need help and Jesus has forgiven you and he loves you anyway he laid down his life for you you've been wiped of your debt you don't need to hide your junk from others you don't need to hide your brokenness and your frailty and your neediness you don't need to hide imperfections and shortcomings and failures you can open yourself up to other people because God knows it all already and he loves you and forgives you in spite of it. He's paid the price for it. And he's sent Jesus to save you. And there's nothing anyone else is going to find out about you that God doesn't already know and there's nothing you'll ever do that God hasn't already forgiven. And so if the God of the universe can love us even though he knows everything, you know, imagine if somebody knew every single wrong thing you did in your life. We would be like, oh my gosh, they could, you know, just a, you know, a printout like a big old resume, here's every single thing I've done wrong today. You know, I, you know, we'd be like, oh my gosh, if somebody saw that, that'd be horrible. All the thoughts I had, all the wrong things I said, all the wrong things I did. And God knows it all for our entire life. He knows it from today. He knows the whole past. He knows it for the whole future. And yet, He loves you and He sent Jesus to die for you so He could take it all away. And so if God can know all that and you can be forgiven by Him, we can open up to anybody and not be afraid of what anybody knows about us. And so here's something you could try this week. Initiate spending time with someone in our church that you haven't spent time with yet or haven't in a while. It's looking at you know, what they're saying in, in, in these verses we're looking at. They spent time together, sat around the dinner table together, getting to know each other. They, were op they had this open-hearted togetherness. And so find, you know, initiate with somebody. Uh, maybe you're not able to get it nailed down this week. You can't find a time. Maybe it'll be next week or the week after. But initiate this week's Spending time with someone in our church they haven't spent time with in a while or haven't spent time with yet. Have them over for dinner and go for coffee or breakfast or lunch or go on a walk or something. And um, then practice with them open-hearted togetherness 
And the way you can do that is share your story with them. Where did you grow up? What was your family like? How did you come to know God? If you haven't come to know God yet, say, well, this is where I'm at in my spiritual journey. This is what I've experienced of God and church and stuff. Um, just share with them your kind of life story. And then share a present struggle or concern you have um, for which you need prayer. And then pray for each other. You both you know, share what your life's been like and then share a struggle or a concern and then pray for each other. That's how we can practice open-hearted togetherness. It's just super simple and yet it can be a very hard thing to do. Simple, hard to do, yet powerful. Now, how many of you know the band Ren Collective? people, maybe like half of us. One of their albums is called Campfire because they recorded on the beach around a campfire and in it they give a beautiful picture of what Christian community is like. First they give this warning. They say, we need to be careful, if I was really reading this correctly, I'd do it with like an Irish accent, but I'll totally mess it up because they're Irish, but you know, we need to, no, not going to do it. Don't try. Uh, not doing it. It's going to ruin it. Um, so they say, they give this warning. We need to be careful to not allow hurt or cynicism to drive us from church. Otherwise, we end up like a branch taken from the fire, lifeless and cold. Then he says, I know the pain we experience in life can be overwhelming, but we aren't meant to go through it alone. And you think about that, a branch taken from the fire, lifeless and cold. That's what it's like when we're like, I'm going to try to follow Jesus and I'm going to do it all on our own. That's, that's just setting yourself up for disaster. That's like taking a branch out of the fire. It's going to die off because it needs all those coals. It needs the other branches to stay hot and to stay going. And then they go on to give this vision for the church in the world. They say, all of us have the divine spark within us and we so desperately need the breath of God to bring us to life and light. Jesus wants to set the church on fire so that the world can warm themselves around us and find light and safety. And these commitments for living as family are simple to say, but difficult to do. But they're also a powerful picture of the gospel to our world because our, our sinful world does not do relationships well. I mean, we all have experienced hurt from relationships and, and difficulties in relationships in our lives. And because of that, people are desperately longing for safe people. They're longing for a place where they can share their pain, their fears, and their disappointments. But most people don't find that, and so they learn to just live as lone rangers. They learn to go it alone and put up walls of protection to not let people in. And I just got to do this because if I let people in, that hurts, and I'm just better off alone. And our world is full of people wandering in the dark and in the cold, and God's family can be the light and the warmth they're looking for. You know, when you're out in, you know, imagine being out in the woods tonight. It's, it's cold, it's dark, you're going to see a light, and you're like, oh, now I want to get to, that's attractive to you, it's going to be warmth, there's probably going to be other people around it. That's what the picture of the church that this um, band was giving. And we believe that we can't accomplish this type of community in an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday evening. That's why we have gospel communities. You can look, I brought a bulletin up here, but I think I lost. Oh, you can look on our bulletin and it explains how, how the ways we do this. Gather, go, grow around the very front. Nick highlighted go earlier. And so um, we believe an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday night, it's impossible to live what Acts 2.42 says about family. And that's why we have gospel communities. That's why we have gospel fluency groups as well, so that we can live this type of community together. And so if that's something you're, you're not fully involved with and you're thinking about, um, talk to me or talk to somebody else um, afterwards to learn more about that. And, but all of this is only possible with Jesus and his spirit inside of us. It's only possible with the gospel and with the spirit. And Jesus is the only one who, like that band said, can set the church on fire so that the world can warm themselves around us and find light and safety. That's the only way we'll be a light to the world. That's the only way we'll be safe people of the world is if we have 
Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It's only when we believe the gospel that we've been adopted and forgiven by the Father will we ever want to open ourselves community like this. Like you know, It takes the gospel to convince us that I could actually let, you know, have an open heart to somebody else and tell them about all my sin and all my struggles and you know, my fears. Like I can, because I know God knows them and I'm forgiven and this is my, someone in my family um, that I can now open up um, to them as well. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, just thank you for this picture you give us in Acts 2 about um, what that early church was like um, after they believed in Jesus and after they received the Holy Spirit. And would you just recognize our deep need, uh, how incapable we are of living this life you've called us to, of living as family, is just something that's so scary to all of us, but we can because of what's now true of us because of what you've done. Um, so would you help us all to live in light of that truth? Would you help us all to live in light of who Jesus is and what he's done, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he was raised from the dead to prove that he really was able to pay for them? And thank you for your Holy Spirit being present with us, um, that you are so close to us, um, and always assuring us that we are your beloved children when we trust in Christ. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.